What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. I saw all the oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, Brady PG 13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bilotti. And I first, before we get started with anything, just want to ask you guys, I know this is a podcast, so obviously you can't really respond, but I just want to ask you, how are you doing? I feel like recently, just because, I mean, there's a few things, but obviously it's been about a year since the madness of 2020 and everything that ensued kind of happened and we're sitting here with ourselves thinking, wow, what a year. We're now in this weird time where we're still kind of recovering. I mean, we're going to be recovering for a while just from the emotions of last year and how things in our life changed. And, you know, I sit here on Instagram and I'm looking through people talking about their successes and how they've launched businesses in the past year and all this stuff. And seeing all of this just makes me wonder how everyone's doing. Like, is everyone feeling all right? Are they feeling like they didn't accomplish enough last year? Are they feeling like they're still, you know, trying to get back on their feet, still trying to just recover? And I want to do a whole episode on this and just talk about this in full. And I want to talk about just the implications of just how how we can't be expected to recover so quickly from a lot of emotion, a lot of turmoil, a lot of just the news being so just weighing on us all the time. But I just want to take a minute in the, be- the beginning of this episode just to ask you, how are you doing? Because honestly, I <laughs> here I go. I have moments where I'm feeling great. I have moments where I'm so grateful and so happy for my growth this past year and just even the smallest of growth moments, okay? Nothing wild and crazy. And then I have moments where I'm like, wow, I don't know how to do this anymore. Like I don't know how to be social. I don't know how to like I have moments of just really crazy social anxiety, which I have experienced throughout my life, but never like this. And I just want to normalize these feelings really quick because I feel like on social media, it's easy to just assume that no one is feeling this because not many people talk about it. 
So before I get into the episode and the story I'm going to tell today, I just want to take a moment to ask you how you're doing. Ask me how I'm doing because I feel often, especially people like myself who are just stupidly, or not stupidly, that's like a really bad word to say, but like just really, really empathetic. I really do feel other people's feelings, which can be a good thing, which can be a bad thing. We've talked about that in like whole dedicated episodes, but it isn't often that we stop and ask ourselves, how are we doing? And also just kind of applaud ourselves for making it this far and for continuing to charge on even though, you know, even though. So just wanted to take a minute to say that before I launch into today's episode, which honestly is really, really, I wouldn't say it's uplifting necessarily, but it's really interesting. It shows a lot of growth in just humankind, honestly, although it is pretty superficial. We're talking about Hollywood and the movie industry and the Oscars and things like that. But I do have to say that with every story that I share on here, we have to notice how each story really does lend to how much we have grown as people, how we have just gone through things and recovered and also changed our mindsets on things, decided what is right and what is wrong as we go. Because things have certainly changed in the past year. Things have certainly changed in the past 100 years. We've gone through so much as a collective group of humans that are with each passing year, juggling new things. Even just over the past year, we've just, even as a social media creator personally, I have experienced so many changes in my own industry of what now we have to work with. We have TikTok now, we have Reels, we have Instagram stories, we have just IGTV, I can't even name all of them, but you know what I'm saying? There's just so many new things and new developments that have happened in the past year. And I think no one really stops to say, isn't it wild that we have been able to be resilient and learn and pivot when needed to just carry the weight of all of this change? So that has been what's been on my mind recently, of course, among many other things. But it's just wild to me thinking about how really when you just sit and think, because often we don't do that, we're just living, we're doing things a million miles a minute and not stopping to think about how far we have come, even in small ways, even in small little, just the way that we use social media has changed, the way that we communicate the trends, like it's wild, the trends. I was watching this new show last night with my friend Hannah, my roommate from LA. She's out here in New York for a little bit um, and she slept over last night. We had a cute little sleepover moment and we started watching this show called Cruel Summer. It's on Hulu. I believe that's the only place it is. It could be other places, but they only have three or two episodes out now. By the time you listen to this podcast, I believe the third episode will be out. They're doing that like one a week release, which I kind of like, especially with shows like this. It's kind of a thriller, sort of like mystery situation, something spooky going, not spooky, but like it's like a thriller, I'd say. And it's really interesting. It's like, it's one of those shows where it goes from several different years. It switches back and forth. And so you're really glued to the screen the whole time, wondering what's going to happen next. It's really captivating. We watched the first episode last night and it was one of those things where it transferred into my dream. 
Like I felt like even after I fell asleep last night, I was still thinking about the plot in my dream. Does anyone else feel like that happens to them? Anyway, so the the plot of Cruel Summer, I'm not going to give away what happens in the first episode, but essentially it centers in, it's one of those high school plots, which I generally really enjoy. I don't know what it is, but even though characters are much younger than me in many of these, you know, obviously high school age, I'm way past that, but I still relate so heavily to, because everyone obviously was in that mindset at one point in time, knows what it feels like to be in high school and to be grappling with popularity and just growing up and changing and just dealing with those changes and how things do evolve year after year, even only in a span of three years. This particular plot you know, it goes from 93, 94 to 95, which is my birth year. That's like the only reason why I remember exactly which years it is. But it starts in 93 and over just a three-year span of time, this the main character, the the actress that plays, I don't even remember her name actually. Oh no, it's Jeanette. Jeanette's the main character's name. It's just the the changes that she undergoes in three years is wild. And it caused me to think about my high school experience and even high school to college, how much I changed in just a short span of time and how I was kind of expected to change so quickly. And so, yeah, really great show. I've only watched the first episode, uh, but my friend Pooja was like, you need to see the second one. It really heats up. The third one is going to like be crazy and whatever. So definitely check it out if you guys need a new show. I believe it just launched like a couple weeks ago. So it's very new. And it's certainly a little bit like creepy or like, I don't know. I don't know. Unsettling, but in a good way. So just so you know, check it out. But today's episode, pivoting a little bit, we're talking about Hollywood today. I teased it on my Instagram story. I said the hint of today's episode is Hollywood. I have talked about Hollywood actually a lot recently uh, with the episode about Katherine Hepburn and the love triangle situation. That whole thing. Really interested in this stuff. I mean, I have always loved old Hollywood and old movies. I've always been one to just kind of obsess over them. And not for all the reasons you might expect from me, honestly, because obviously I do love the fashion. I love how a lot of them romanticize certain places like New York and Paris. And I love Audrey Hepburn. And I love just, I love the people that are portrayed, but I also like seeing how far we've come because old Hollywood movies while they can be dazzling, they also paint a very clear picture of who was allowed to shine back then by gender, by race. Just it shows how far we've come if you really look at these old films and see what we're producing today and who is at the helm of these productions, who is at center stage of these productions. Obviously, we still have a very far way to go in terms of equality in the film industry. There's a lot to say about that, especially in the academy and all of that. You know, we've probably read about this more recently. It's just wild how far we still have to go. But it is interesting just to see a really big picture of just what was acceptable then, what is acceptable now, what we still need to change in order for things to be even better. But at the end of the day, I love movies. I love how it really just, it's like a postcard from a different time. And I love history, as you know. So it's really fun for me just to watch a ton of old movies and think about them, not just watch them and be like, oh, simpler times, because certainly they were not simpler for many people. We need to remember that. But there is a lot to say about how far we've come. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So today I do want to talk about that specifically, how far we've come in terms of what was okay and what was not, what was outlawed in Hollywood. We're talking about forbidden Hollywood today. So add a little juicy spin to it, a little bit of spice. Whoa, I just almost knocked over my water. That would have been spicy. Um, We're talking about forbidden Hollywood today. But backing up, what inspired this? So the Oscars just happened. And aside from some beautiful fashion moments, Zendaya's outfit will just be ingrained in my mind forever. Loved her yellow. I'm like inspired to wear yellow now because of her. I've shied away from yellow for too long, but her outfit, definitely look up photos if you haven't seen it. There were some great fashion moments. Obviously, a lot went down. There was some snubs. I have a lot of opinions about this, but one thing that did inspire me from the Oscars in a funny way. So there was a speech, one specific speech that caught the attention of a lot of people, a lot of news outlets, a lot of meme accounts, me, etc. So Daniel Kaluuya won the award for Best Supporting Actor for his role in Judas and the Black Messiah. He gave a speech, and he's he's notoriously a very funny guy. I've seen a lot of his interviews on YouTube with various talk show hosts, and he's hilarious. But essentially, he gave his speech, And it was really cute. He was like paying tribute to his family, like saying all the things you say in a speech, like normal speech, but he's funny. And, you know, it was all pretty normal, except for then he added this like totally X-rated normal, but X-rated sort of twist that no one really saw coming. And so he's British. So imagine this in a British accent. But he was like, mom and dad, they had sex. It's amazing. I'm here. And then the camera goes to his mom in the audience and she's like, what did he say? Like, she's like mortified. And it was hilarious. It's like a moment that a lot of people were talking about afterwards, despite kind of a train wreck of an Oscars. But this all got me thinking about Hollywood, the movie industry, specifically what is considered X-rated and what is not. What's okay, quote, okay to do and say, and what is not. And it's such a fine line with nudity, profanity, all of that. So I got very curious about how all of this came to be. The rating system of movies, you know, G, PG, PG PG-13R. How was this decided and when? And this further unlocked a memory that I forgot that I had, and many of you guys probably as well. I can only say what the laws are in the U.S. because I'm sure things are obviously different everywhere. But I believe it's 17 in the U.S. is how old you have to be to watch rated R movies in theaters. Like certainly I would watch some rated R movies with my friends like at sleepovers and like we would sneak them or my parents would fast forward through the the juicy scenes and whatever. But to see in theaters, I believe you have to be 17. I remember distinctly like this is something I forgot about because obviously I remember – just not being 21 yet and waiting for the day that I was 21 so I could drink alcohol legally. But we forget about seeing rated R movies. Like there was a certain time where we couldn't do that because of our age. And so I would sneak into rated R movies. Like we would go buy like a PG, PG PG-13 ticket for some random movie and then just skirt on down to whatever the rated R movie was and 
hope that no one carted us or saw us, asked for our ticket, things like that. And I was, oh my God, I'm such a rule follower. I was like sweating the whole time I did this. Like 16-year-old Katie was like freaking out. (laughs) But yeah, I just remembered this. It was like such an unlocked memory of me wanting so badly to watch rated R movies. And so this also like, you know, of course, igniting a fire in my brain of like what on earth is all of this for. If you guys watch a lot of classic films like me, like from the 30s, that sort of time period, you might wonder why during a large chunk of history, like 30s, 40s, 50s, like that time period, the movies seem pretty tame. And I mean, there isn't like nudity, cursing, there's very specific like gender rules of like just obviously very rigid But just it's really interesting how the movies just kind of seem tame comparing them to today's movies, much more so than now. You know, the films like danced around issues and potentially offensive subjects like, you know, they reinforced sexism, racism, homophobia, all that stuff because they clearly something was like going on. And I I always just thought that people were less raunchy back then, but that's just like not the case. They just weren't being shown like that those tendencies were not being shown in films and so I remember my next door neighbor growing up was this girl named Sophie and her dad was this huge movie buff he was like a historian loved old movies loved showing us old movies he really knew old films and each Friday we do black and white movie night at Sophie's house we'd watch old movies like all in black and white obviously and it was my first taste of truly quote adult movies because up until then you know, on the off chance I would sneak into a rated R movie, but mostly I was watching just really just teen drama, high school musical, like really lax, like the the characters wouldn't even kiss on screen, like animated stuff because everything else had too high of a rating and my parents were pretty careful about what they let me watch and all that stuff. And so I'm realizing all these years later that the only reason why a bunch of like 13-year-old girls were allowed to watch these black and white movies that my neighbor's dad put on the the 30s, the 50s, the 60s. The only reason was because of the crazy censorship laws that existed then that certainly do not exist today. Well, they do, but we have a rating system that did not exist for so long. Like the rating system, PG, PG-13, all that did not exist until more recently. And I had no idea until I looked into this So we're about to learn something today. And again, this is just the U.S. I don't really know how it goes in other places, but there is a rating system that we all follow here. And so, yeah, these old romantic films and screwball comedy films were oddly tame, in my mind, for being adult-facing films. But why? Well, look no further. We're going to talk about why today, why this was a thing, how things have changed, and there's a lot of drama involved. It's juicy, no surprise, because it's Hollywood. So what if I told you guys, backing things up a little bit, what if I told you there was a time in history when a movie kiss, so like an on-screen kiss, could not last more than three seconds legally? It was law. Three seconds, that's it. Like that is the shortest kiss ever. And that is what, that was the longest kiss allowed on screen. And additionally, women on screen, all times of the movie, had to have, quote, at least one foot on the floor. So in other words, no scenes in bed. A lot of other stuff. This set of rules that determined things like this was called Hayes Code. And it was enacted in 1934 after a series of sketchy events that went down in the 20s because 
obviously we have to remember the TV, the, you know, the camera, all these things are relatively new inventions. So there wasn't a lot of regulation. People were kind of going off the rails. Lots of just really sketchy things happening in Hollywood, like murder, just sketchy things with actresses and actors, a series of questionable morals also just amongst the American people after prohibition was lifted. We talked about that in a whole episode of the podcast. And then also, obviously, people were letting loose post-World War One. lots of just stuff going on. And people were kind of blaming the movie industry for glamorizing just illegal activity, uh, nudity, things like that, and for encouraging promiscuous, evil, anti-Christ behavior. And so there was two films that came out in this pre-code time period. So before the code, all the rules were enacted. And these had really no regulation at all. There's two movies. They're called Babyface and Red-Headed Woman, which I now feel the need to watch because these are two of the films that kind of the, the straws that broke the camel's back. There was a bunch of them, but these were two of them that were released. And then people were like, okay, we got to do something about this because things are just going to get crazier from here. And these two movies featured female protagonists that were sleeping their way to the top, essentially. I believe in Babyface, at least, sleeping her way to the top and getting away with money and rewards for her sexual ambition, which was not cool back then, apparently. So these were just two of the the straws that broke the camel's back, like I said. And so from here, with all these films, like like I said, lots of just encouraging crime, stuff like this. People are watching these films and just life in America is wild. And people, specifically religious people, felt that the film industry needed some reform, needed some rules before things got too out of hand. And it was like the wild, wild west out there. And so when I first read about this time period, though, I instantly thought of this one movie, Gone with the Wind, which obviously now problematic, but you know, it was out at this time period and it had this really bold for the time, line in it spoken by Scarlett O'Hara, main character, main female character, her love interest, Rhett Butler. He said, you know, she said first, where shall I go? What shall I do? And then Rhett, the male character, replies, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. And that was like the craziest line for the time because it had a curse word in it. And this quote actually, I found out later, was voted the number one movie line of all time by the American Film Institute in 2005. And I remember when I first watched this movie, this was like when I was in college, or maybe, yeah, probably like freshman year of college, my dad told me that it was a really controversial line. And it was the fact that it involved cursing and it was said to a woman and legend has it, I researched this after the fact, the film directors, this is kind of a legend, but they were fined $5,000, which is a lot of money for back then, for the use of the word damn. And so for years and years prior, though, to this movie's release, words like this were used all the time, even crazier ones. And a lot of like the, the Western films, a lot of the just the gangster films. So why the sudden change? Why was it okay for so many years? And then this film comes out and they're like, absolutely not. We're going to fine you a ton of money for using this. And you can't even, you know, use any words that aren't used in the initial book. Like the only reason why they got away with this word was because it was used in the book that had been out for years and years. So the directors of Gone with the Wind had the Hayes Code to thank for that hefty fine. So the Motion Picture Production Code which was nicknamed the Hayes Code, was made to regulate movies 
and help out the murky, promiscuous reputation of Hollywood. And it lasted for over three decades until 1968. So essentially, Hollywood studio execs all came together after like all these religious leaders and people were really just really hating on Hollywood. They were like, this cannot go on any further. And so they were trying to appease these people who had power. And they came together under the guidance of this man named Will Hayes, who is the president of the Motion Picture Producers and Distributors of America. That's a mouthful from 1922 to 1945. They all came together to create a list of 36 don'ts and be carefuls that all movies had to follow in order to be released and promoted and given the stamp of approval to be shown in theaters and whatever. So on the list, there were 11 subjects to be avoided altogether and 26 to be handled with care. So the the be carefuls. And up until this time, there was really no serious penalties, no serious laws, enforcement for studios. Like obviously there were like general rules, like Obviously, there were certain things that just like would not fly, but for the most part, there were like no serious penalties. So this was pretty huge. And I mean, for context, guys, sound in movies, so like non-silent films, only came to be in like 1927. So the studios were kind of making things up as they went, like what was okay, what wasn't okay. And when the rules were first put out, like this set of Hayes Code rules, everyone kind of laughed at it. They're like, okay, these aren't serious, but they were. They were serious. And so the Hayes Code in full is a pretty lengthy document. I'll link it in the show notes if you guys are interested in reading more about it. I read the whole thing. And essentially, in a nutshell, the code prohibited nudity, suggestive dances, discussion of sexual perversity, nudity, again, and I'm not saying that because I accidentally, like it was on there twice. (laughs) Like that's how crazy they were about it. Superfluous use of liquor, ridicule of religion, miscegenation, which is essentially uniting of two different races, like in marriage or in any sort of situation, like it's, yeah, like interracial unions, flirtations, things like that. I know, crazy. Excessive and lustful kissing. So no more than three seconds, like I said. Scenes of passion. And it goes on. And I took some screenshots of the Hayes Code, specifically like verbatim, because some of these sections are so crazy. Like I can't even believe that this was a law at one point. And it's just wild. It's just really goes to show, like I said earlier, how different things are today, how, you know, how much progress we've made with people's mindsets, even though we do have a way to go, obviously. So 1934 was not all that long ago. We need to remember that. Anyway, let me read some sections. So It says, no picture should lower the moral standards of those who see it. This is done when evil is made to appear attractive and good is made to appear unattractive. When the sympathy of the audience is thrown on the side of crime, wrongdoing, evil, sin, the same thing is true of a film that would throw sympathy against goodness, honor, innocence, purity, honesty. Which... (laughs) I mean, granted, there are films out there that have certain actors and actresses that were like, oh my God, they're so hot and whatever, and they're the villain, and maybe being the villain makes them hotter. Like, I've certainly watched movies now, obviously all like rated R and rated appropriately, where I'm like, wow, I like love the villain. And like, that was not okay back then. It was not okay. So the presentation of evil, this is, I'm quoting again, is often essential for art, fiction, drama, This in itself is not wrong, provided that evil is not presented alluringly. 
(laughs) that throughout the presentation, evil and good are never confused and that evil is always recognized clearly as evil. That in the end, the audience feels that evil is wrong and good is right. (laughs) Like, and it needs to be super clear. They were like very clear about it. They gave examples, the whole nine yards. So, okay, continuing. I want to talk about the nudity element. Okay, so they said, hence the fact, this is like part of a sentence, part of a paragraph, the nude or semi-nude body may be beautiful, but that doesn't make its use in the films moral. (laughs) They made it clear, like, okay, you know, nude bodies, beautiful, but not moral. For in addition to its beauty, the effects of the nude or semi-nude on the normal individual must be taken into consideration. So essentially, a woman's body, they were like very specific. There's all these sections about how a woman's body needs to be portrayed. Like if it's going to be a nude scene, like you can't see the nudity. It's just implied nudity. Like it wasn't even okay to have like a waist down situation. Like it was very, very clear. And it's just wild because it was like all very much like just centered on the female body and how the female body is like causing people to go crazy and causing people to do all this provocative stuff in the daylight and the the modern American people are somehow hindered because of the female body. Like it's just crazy how many sections there are about it. It just shows that primarily men were at the helm of these of these rules. There's a whole section about bedrooms and they said verbatim In themselves, bedrooms are perfectly innocent. Their suggestion may be kept innocent. However, under certain conditions, they are bad, dramatic locations. (laughs) Bad, dramatic locations. I die. Okay, also, the name of Jesus Christ should never be used except for in reverence. So you can't say any sort of like Christ-based just cursing or like you can't just exclaim Jesus Christ, like absolutely not allowed. Okay, separately in terms of crime, crime need not always be punished as long as the audience is made to know that it is wrong. (laughs) Okay, another section. No plot theme should definitely side with evil and against good. Comedies and farces should not make fun of good, innocence, morality, or justice. No plot should be so constructed as to leave the question of right or wrong in doubt or fogged. No plot should by its treatment throw the sympathy of the audience with sin, crime, wrongdoing, or evil. No plot should present evil alluringly. (laughs) So a lot to do with evil. Which is like reading these makes me think of every movie I've ever seen that I've loved and that, you know, involves crime. A lot of like the Marvel films, a lot of the the villain, the superheroes, all that stuff. A lot of times we are made in in the plot of the film to love the the bad person because then we we get this sort of like empathy towards them. But obviously we know because most of us just know that certain things are wrong, that killing is wrong, like just certain things. But it's just interesting how it was like, absolutely no, like don't even think about it. <laughs> like Don't even think about it. And so in all of this, movies had to, the, the directors, the showrunners, movie runners had to get very, very creative. So because of this, there were certain just like well-known characters and figures that we all know that had to be changed a lot. So even cartoon character guys, Betty Boop, the cartoon character, had to get a full makeover under the Hayes Code. So she existed before the Hayes Code and post-code Betty Boop had to 
get longer skirts. She had these like, short little skirts that were swapped out for longer garments, stockings that covered her legs, all of that. And she even lost some of her curls and her famous like winks and shaking hips that was like very just iconic for her were deemed to be, quote, suggestive of immorality. Immorality. Sorry, I said that weird. Suggestive of immorality. People often say that this is when Betty Boop's career was ruined. So director Howard Hughes, he's a kind of a known director, he threw this hissy fit when his Western film called The Outlaw was banned from being shown in theaters. And it wasn't banned because of its content alone, which was honestly pretty, like it was decent, pretty tame for a Western film, but it was because the film's advertising campaign, the posters, the billboards, focused attention on Jane Russell, the actress, her cleavage. So Howard Hughes threw a huge fit, like sued a bunch of people. But aside from the evil, the profanity, the nudity, all of those things, there was a super racist element to the code, which isn't extremely surprising considering it was like all white men that made it. And obviously, there's a lot of problematic stuff that happened back in this time period. But essentially, in films, like I said earlier, there couldn't be any miscegenation, which I learned means based on the dictionary – interbreeding of people considered to be of different racial types. And that comes right from the dictionary. So essentially, because of Hayes Code, actors of color were discriminated against even more than they had been in previous years. Granted, this wasn't the first time they'd been discriminated against in the movies, but especially because of Hayes Code. So for example, Chinese-American actress Anna Mae Wong wasn't cast as the lead in a movie called The Good Earth because the male lead was a white actor. So the code actually started to weaken in the 50s. People started to get really good at skirting around boundaries, getting as close as they possibly could to breaking a rule without actually breaking it, and finding creative ways to express risque sentiments in non-risque ways. So kind of urging the American people to read between the lines. So according to an article published in Men's Health, which I'll link in the show notes, director Edward Dimitrik said, The code had a very good effect because it made us think. If we wanted to get something across that was censorable, we had to do it deviously. We had to be clever. And it usually turned out to be much better than if we had done it straight. So they were forced to create sex without sex, thus creating sexual tension in movies. And the rules that were meant to bar and censor people essentially gave birth to modern day plot, to the buildup. So we can thank Hayes Code for new genres of film, classic 30s romantic comedies, screwballs, etc. So they kind of had to make something out of nothing in a lot of situations. But then enter 1960s America. So for a refresher, the 60s brought forth an era of sexual freedom where people were seriously challenging norms in sexual freedom, but also just like who was allowed to have sex with who in the sense of like people were just really exploring, which was great. So like the birth control pill came out in the 60s. There were a bunch of powerful feminist and gay rights movements, etc. And so there was this new progressive era that was coming into America that naturally translated also transferred over to the film industry and really put a lot of pressure on the Hayes Code. And so it just soon kind of fizzled out. There's this movie called Some Like It Hot, which I absolutely love it's it features uh, Marilyn Monroe in very minimal clothing and these two lead male actors that dressed in drag for like the entirety of the movie and this was kind of the nail in the coffin for the Hayes Code people are realizing how 
this is just not real life. Like half of the stuff that the the code had in there just isn't real life. And it's also so limiting, so racist, sexist, so homophobic, so many reasons why it was just outdated. And people just stopped paying attention to the rules as the American public in general was getting to be less rigid and more adventurous in their thought and in what could be okay. So the code was officially disbanded in 1968, and it was replaced with the Motion Picture Association of America's film rating system as we know it. So it's called the MPAA for short. And it had four rating tiers that we still use today that have really only changed ever so slightly since 68. So there's G for general exhibition, so all ages, M for mature audiences, so people over the age of 12, R for restricted, children under 16 must be accompanied by an adult, and X for extremely graphic, so only people 18 and over can be admitted. And obviously there's like different ones now that they've thrown in, but those are kind of the the general bread and butter. And so that, my friends, is how the rating system came to be. That did not exist. If anything, it was just obviously worse and more rigid back then with the code. But now there's these different ratings. And so if you don't want to be exposed, if you don't want your kids exposed to certain things, you just don't let them go to the the movie. You don't go with them. You don't let them watch the rated R, the rated X. And even further, I know there was a lot of criticism of how movies were inspiring people to do evil things, to do non-antichrist sort of things, to indulge in evil and things like that. I mean, the fact of the matter is, especially with all the technology that we have today and would have very soon after all these codes were put into effect, like people will find a way to find evil content, like even if it isn't readily accessible, like there will be ways for them to find things, okay? So in the movie industry, they have this power to showcase these potentially evil themes and showcase them in a way that ultimately does not champion evil, you know, necessarily. These characters, like in the Marvel films and in Harry Potter and things like that, they're always wrought to justice in the end, and good does prevail in many of these movies. So Hollywood gets a chance to make things right. And so, yeah, I think that if you want to find evil content, you can, even if it isn't readily accessible and legal. Like, there are ways around that. There are evil forums online that should never exist that hopefully in coming years we'll find a way to just get rid of because obviously they're bad. But banning movies or, you know, just creating these barriers didn't really solve anything. People were still doing evil things even in the 30s and 40s when these restrictions were at an all-time high. So yeah, that's kind of how it went. And the code, it really did limit a lot of Hollywood filmmakers, like I said, but it also did result in some positive change. It caused people to get more creative. It also really, I think, expedited things in terms of people realizing how limiting a lot of the previous mindsets of like the 20s and 30s really was in terms of sexism, like I said, and just just what was allowed and and it really caused people to question, like, why is this not allowed? Like, should it? Like, this is something that we, we're kind of living in this box and we need to get out and see other points of view and how things could really be and cause more creative freedom in doing that. So yeah, nudity, promiscuity, promiscuity, is that how you say it? (laughs) Was totally off the table during this time, during the code. And so this also resulted in women in movies 
were getting some personality. They weren't treated solely as bodies like they were in the 20s because a lot of the the early films, the pre-code films that were essentially not okay, featured a lot of nudity and a lot of just like women as objects because sex sells, obviously. And so without sex selling, they had to give women these like feisty personalities and give them some flavor, give them some ideas and some opinions, which was kind of great for women. There's this whole article I read about how just feminism really was expedited and people were really exploring more, just more possibilities for women because of the Hays Code. So again, another positive you know, women were given wit, they were given dialogue. And that can be seen in a lot of Katherine Hepburn's characters, like we discussed in our past episode. An article in The New Yorker about the code said, unlike pre-code goddesses, vamps, and bad girls who crooned or spoke in snarls and wisecracks, the post-code women could talk. So... Anyway, that in a nutshell, guys, was the Hayes Code, was how modern rating came to be and how different America was back in a very recent, I would say, time period. I mean, it really was, it was less than 100 years ago, really, that we were dealing with this, like just about. So while a lot has changed, also a lot hasn't changed, a lot needs to change, there's a lot of barriers that still need to be broken in the movie industry as we know as we read articles about all the time now there's just all these ways that things are still rigid and that need to be challenged so definitely read up more about recent hollywood news i really enjoy reading about it and seeing how people are really standing up for the movie industry because i love movies movies have helped me through the hardest parts of my life have really inspired me in times where i didn't feel inspired and have given me people to believe in a lot of movie characters like I really believe in some of these characters I think about them all the time even though they're not real and so while movies have really helped us a lot they still have a ways to improve and yeah I think a lot of that can also you know it's kind of a direct correlation like what's going on in movies can be seen in real life as well like you can see how we as a human race have evolved in our thinking and in what we are just getting less rigid and seeing that there are other possibilities than what we are used to and what we have been brought up to think is okay. So that's just a little food for thought for your Thursday. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode about Hollywood, forbidden Hollywood, and I will talk to you guys all next week. Bye. Bye.